0: boys and fangirls. Welcome to another additional talk and pop with the franchise and Biko. It's the podcast on all things pop culture. I'm your host, the franchise, of course. My co-host, the birth from the same mother, Biko. What's up, guys? I know we promised we would do a top 25 uh, Rick and Morty episodes, but we try to put that in the back burner because uh, all we know is the rest of the season is coming out next month. Right now, the big thing right now, everyone's been talking about. Now that, you know, the whole popularity about Tiger King is pretty much upside right now, is The Last Dance. It's this documentary that was in the works for so many years. um, Pretty much it started off with, you know...
1: Well, versus Garbage.
0: Basically, if you were a Bulls fan in the 90s... uh,
1: NBA basketball professionally.
0: Yeah, if NBA at all. You know, the Chicago Bulls were the team of the 90s. They were pretty much the dominant team, basically. Um, They had a, a slew of stars. You know, they had the three-peat from 91, 92, 93. Of course, Jordan decided to take an 18-month sabbatical playing baseball, which in turn left the Bulls, like, two years where they made it to the playoffs. But, of course, you know, Pippen tried as hard to lead the team, but they couldn't get past the second round, Um, which led to Houston would taking advantage of winning those two championships back-to-back until Jordan decided to get those words on back in late 95, like, around March, coming back, you know, lend the Bulls to the playoffs. But, of course, they got eliminated by the Magic at that time. And, um of course, you know, they end up going to a 72-win season in 96. Um, ended up, you know, in 97, taking on the Utah Jazz for their fifth. And pretty much, you know, takes us to the, this pretty much the last dance. To pretty much taking to the 1997-98 NBA season. Um, pretty much, you know, I was a Bulls fan because, like, you know, I got into it because my folks started watching it, like, in 91-90. They started watching the Bulls. They remember the bad boys. When I asked them about Detroit. They're like, oh, it's the bad boys. Um I I got into basketball after that. I was like a young kid around that time, and you know my bro, my dad was like so highly on Michael Jordan and stuff, and you know respected him. You know he was like the face of the
1: Bulls. The nineties were transitioning a period for the NBA, at least with with the Showtime Lakers kind of capping most of the eighties with their wins of championships, and then with with the first championship being won from ninety through the ninety first one season with the Bulls, and we finally see Michael Jordan and. A player like Scottie Pippen uh, come together and, and to play on the uh, on a roster for the Bulls that would essentially kick off their dynasty uh, through the 90s uh, with with them winning through that first uh, 90 to 91 year to start off the decade and with Michael Jordan already having what five years you can say under his belt in the NBA and and Scottie Pippen getting brought onto the Bulls and with them kind of going through rebuilding years although they would make it to the playoffs except. They weren't. They didn't find that success that all teams have, as and as far as getting to the championships. And so, with them winning that first year, we got to see the start and why Michael Jordan had such an importance to what the Bulls were, essentially putting them on the map through the nineties as being the most prolific team in sports. Um, and so, with our the documentary starting this past Sunday, we wanted to use this as a, a platform for describing and. Discussing something that we grew up with, and for it to come out 23 years later out of nowhere, is something pretty amazing. And for ESPN to kind of be, unfortunately, unfortunately being the platform to show this documentary, we get to see essentially these players that we viewed as gods of the basketball court, and seeing them now discuss how important that year was for them because we will never see that shit happen again ever even no matter how important it is for some people in this generation in the nba uh the nba just doesn't have the same impact as it did in the 90s it was a whole different ball game uh characters were different the game was more i think competitive but it's only because it was played differently mm-hmm. than it is today some people might find it not as thrilling uh based on the way that the game had to be played the way the game is played now and some of the way the teams are built may not be to your taste as compared to the nineties. So yeah, for new kids coming in to see this, I think it's amazing that hopefully if they're basketball fans, they get to see how it was really, what the difference was and how truly remarkable it was to see Michael Jordan play and how like it was every year it was just how it wasn't even about like, how are we going to win the championship? It was just like, how are we going to stop the bulls from getting us to the championship? Cause Every year, it was just like well, we already know the Bulls are going to be there. So it's just how some people view Golden State through this dynasty, which mm-hmm. is not the same, but it's kind of like that, you know.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like that, and of course, you know, Golden State having Steve Kerr, who was part of that, you know, that yeah, second three. it's feet. kind
1: of surreal to see them kind of take it in his own way and how they built their team around Steph Curry, uh, but. The, given our first and second episode, uh, for people... For night one, basically. Yeah, This is like
0: a... Like, they really like for three or four nights, but it's yeah, all Sundays. Yeah, only eight episodes. Ten, actually. Oh, ten, ten. Uh, it's a ten part, uh, yeah.
1: So, like, they they got to cover a lot in those two hours, and I'm, I can only imagine it being hard for some people to really get into it if they weren't into the NBA then, and if they're not into it now. But it's cool, I think, to know who these people are, and we're going to see them actually sit down and talk stuff, and... It's nice to see Michael Jordan with just a glass of whiskey and a cigar, just really letting, It's like finally I can like not have to be in this light where I can't like I can hold back and not hold back, and we clearly see that. So uh, it's kind of like what um I don't know me watching this is kind of like thank God we got off of Tiger King and yeah I think this is like a like, big like this is actually I think a little more relevant to what our tastes were and it's a different type and it's like ESPN they've always been good at putting these fucking documentaries like the a 30 early. for 30 films yeah Yeah, and, and it's Disney so
0: yeah and plus you know background about this was I was reading articles leading up to the the, 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 the whole documentary series was that I guess um, NBA Entertainment at the time um they were hitting rumors you know Everything through the grapevine that who knows there were rumors going on back in the day that this could be the last year from Mike yeah. because he's up there in age, so they decided you know what um, am Silver, who's the current commissioner of time, was one of the heads of NBA entertainment. Um, they decided to approach the team and you know they talked to Phil, and Phil was okay with it. Uh, for them to have the cameras around, but it was up to, you know, the players and see what they want to do. And of course, they talked to Michael because they got to find a way with Michael how he wants to approach it. And I guess the way they did it was, you know, how Michael is when it comes to, like, protecting his, like, licensing, when it comes to his likeness and stuff. That's why if you saw, like, the early NBA games, you didn't see Jordan on there because he had control over his license, over the union.
1: Yeah. So um, it, that's, yeah. yeah, because if
0: any, video game, if any video game, when it comes to sports, you need to get approval from the union and the league. The Players Association League, of course, Jordan at that time had had creative control license over his likeness. Um, but for them to you know to pitch it to Jordan, hey, we want to do a documentary, we want to follow you guys around because you know we're hearing that this could be your last season, and the one thing we'll offer you is creative control, and that's what Jordan did. He ended up you know accepting that as long as he had creative control how this documentary was going to be portrayed, and of course, you know, it's like. And then decided, you know, that's what they pretty much did. They pretty much um, filmed everything, you know, preseason. Pretty much, they said they had over 100 hours of footage. Which, you know, I could see why they had to go back and, you know, break it down to 10 episodes. But at the same time, you know, they got all the footage. But at the same time, you got to get the interviews. You got to reach out to, you know... The key, I would say, the key figures of this of this um, documentary, like Jordan, Pippen. Of course, Jordan was already on board. Phil was already on board. So try to get Pippen, Steve Kerr, you know, Dennis Rodman, you know, people who around that time were like the big names at that time, to give their input, you know, on you know this year. And like I said, and you know, this documentary was supposed to come out in June, but of course, with COVID nineteen going right now, and there's no sports right now, they decide, you know, what, let's bump it up,
1: give it to the people.
0: Let's show it to them. Which
1: me. awesome, by the way. Which is great. So, so that was
0: like a lot of things. People right now were so excited. You know, we were excited. So we, we actually watched it live the first two episodes. But, but the way they're doing the scheduling is they're doing it every Sunday. So this coming Sunday will be three and four. But they're going to repeat one and two for the people who missed the first two episodes.
1: So, yeah, don't. I would say DVR it if you can't catch it right on Sundays. Because uh, we all understand. Because you really have to, like, sit down and and really watch it for 2 hours cuz you know you have the commercial breaks but like you really have to sit down and soak it in cuz it's it it's just the way it's done the way it's cut the way it's even made it, it it's it's very sleek very sharp and and you I don't know obviously they're going to talk to Michael and stuff more but
0: because he's in he was in charge of cause, it cuz
1: like you never know, you you watch this going in and you already feel like it's it's it still feels like a jordan documentary uh but even when they go with the flashbacks on how they kind of take the pacing to where it gives you the full scope of how important that whole, the whole championship run that the Bulls have had throughout the 90s. Um, even though this is really supposed to be focusing on that last championship season that the Bulls had. But I, I do like that they they provide the flashback parts. Um, Just to give like
0: the, a background. Yeah,
1: like it divides the pacing. Uh, and then we can talk about pros and cons with the first two episodes, which is fun. And, uh, but I guess it would be kind of like pro in this, is that it does a decent job of giving the flashbacks and stuff. I just wish that, uh, what I don't like about that is that it does sometimes take a little too much into that flashback era to where it, it kind of would take away the pacing of providing the main narrative and that's that championship run. So like I know as all although it is important to provide that mm-hmm. um, for the general, the general audience who may have not... Really cared for the NBA or that or the Michael Jordan era with that shit. Like some people just don't care, which is fine. Who cares? It's like sports to sports. If you're into it, you are into yeah. it. Yeah. So, I think they try to do that more on this side of things, knowing that they have so much hours of in, of fucking content to cut in. And I get it; it's hard. But I think knowing just from those two episodes that we watched, it like just the pacing of everything. It seemed like. Because when you watch these going in, the first episode is clearly, clearly all about Michael Jordan. Clearly. Yeah, because honestly, like, like I said, this whole thing was for just, him to a, accept
0: it, accept them to do this. They had to get his, uh, because like I said, he was the face of the franchise. Right,
1: and, but that's like, but that's, what that's the thing I don't like about it still, is that it's still a team thing. And we know Michael's importance in this, because he's the best player ever to touch the ball. However, it's like... You still want to hold it around the whole organization of everything, and that's where I think it, it the way they edited this at least from watching the first two episodes it kind of it's like it wants to have both of its feet in, in both ponds mm-hmm. like it still want it, it doesn't want to stray too far away from the the main narrative and that's telling that last season as an organization and then the way they're feeding it to us with the second episode kind of being surrounded around Scotty and his uh, roots going into the game and then how he first came into the NBA and then with, with the Bulls and him playing alongside Jordan and we got a good glimpse of that in the second episode and I'm sure it's going to carry on later on when they when they start exposing more profiles of each of the I want to say the key members of the NBA of the Bulls team at that year but mm-hmm. hopefully we'll see I don't know yet obviously we have to wait until next week but or this Sunday however it's like I I want to have both I want to still have the organization be as a whole being the narrative driver here.
0: I mean, yeah, I've got to see, like, Bill Winnington at least a little bit mm-hmm. to give his... But because think about it, he was probably one of the last, you know... Because it, you saw he lasted until 1999 with the Bulls, so... Yeah, yeah, he was So he was probably one the last, you know... Once
1: long we left, yeah.
0: Yeah, once uh, everyone... Because the, the whole thing, like, to give you good insight, you know, I pulled up this article from, like, Bleacher Report... Um, pretty much, this article was written by Andy Bailey. He wrote this in the '19, basically the same night. Um,
1: oh, so he literally had that ready to go. Ready right. to go.
0: So he had that ready to go. Like, I guess he probably wrote this article after watching the, the nights, and this is one of the points he did bring up. see. We're gonna go through the bullet points and give our opinion about it, um, based on takeaways. And like I said, the like pretty much he asked this: Did Jerry Krause doom the Bulls dynasty? Um, this is what he put. This is his opinion. The last dance in the pony punches. This includes treatment of the team's general manager Jerry Krause. With the first 15 minutes of the first episode, the tension behind the 1997-98 season is late, largely laid at his feet. From the quote about organizations winning championships, not players, to the conversation with Phil Jackson about being his last season, it's hard not to leave episode one without wondering one might have been if, if it Krause, who was the organization, who was on the organizational chopping block who pretty much the nerve that I took for Krause, a forward baseball scout to tell five-time NBA championship coach said that the 1997-98 will be his final campaign, even if they went 82 and 0 it was a tough-to-fathom. Of course, there are other factors left to the breakup of the Bulls' final six championship, but more stability in the front office could have hurt. So, what do you think of that? You know, Jerry Krause, you know, I mean, if you think about it, they pretty much, you know, if you think about the beginning of the, the commander, they were pretty much berating him. Of course, you had Jerry Reinsdorf doing yeah. interviews with them, and Jeez it's like,
1: Christ. even
0: he was forewarned when he bought them. Oh, God, one. they
1: give him so much, they give Jerry Reinsdorf a lot of screen time in this.
0: But, they, but if you think about oh, it, he, they gave him, like, he was worn when he bought, like, first he bought the White Sox, and then when he was by the by the Wolves, and they warned him because, like, Jerry across the time was a scout for the White worn Sox. Worn him,
1: he knew him already. Years before. But they, they, when he didn't wear him at all. They were, it was, he was getting... But uh, he was hearing from everybody he else getting, saying, watch out. Right, but he was getting cushioned in for the job anyways. Like, he, he was still Rizzo's guy, because he owned both teams. Like, he knew him. I think the people who were warning him were like, probably like the actual like coaches that were next to him thinking that like the way he handled baseball players is exactly the way he was going to handle basketball players in a sense. But then it's like, as an owner, I, it was clearly like the writing was on the wall for him to fucking put him in that spot, mm-hmm. which I think is just bad ownership on his part. But like, fuck, they made him, the way I didn't like the documentary portraying Ryan Stork, like he was just like, oh, I was surprised. Even though it's like, oh, you know, not everyone hated like Jerry Biden not mind them it's like we knew that you you fucking promoted them <laughs> uh but yeah, just the way they were <laughs> they were really laying it hard on on the whole like let's hate angle the let's hate Terry Crossing angle. Like, Jerry Cross yeah or Jerry Krause, yeah that that was so heavy but
0: for me, it was like okay, and then the whole organization went championships. then of course, there was an interview later on where he said that he got yeah. misquoted. Saying, you know, not just the players, not just the organization that win championships. But it's like, but to me, it's like, I mean, for me, I never read the newspaper back in the day. So I didn't know the stuff that was going on in the back. Until years later, when it came to surface, what he did. But, you know, me, a kid in the 90s, I'm not going to, you know, pay attention to like stuff like that. Versus, you know, now when all the stories come to light with this documentary, now everything's coming to light. Oh, that's how he's viewed in the front office. And we're going through that same shit right now. That's why right now we just got like a new um, president of operations right now. He's cleaning house as well. But he's trying to, you know, erase some of the old regime as well. But it's like, Jerry Cross, you know, you don't have to like the guy. But think about it, when it comes to certain things, he was able to build that pieces. Yeah, You got to give him to that from a tactical standpoint. But with doing? him and Phil, which to me was the biggest bullshit that he did to Phil Jackson, was this guy, this coach... Gives you five championships, God, yeah. but going to tell him before the beginning of the at the end of the last se- like the season before, tell him hey I don't care if you go a two and O, you're not coming back next year. It's like Phil Jackson, come on, he's the one of the architects of the triangle offense. You know he he started as assistant on the Bulls. He he worked under Doug Collins before he took over. He, he brought all these assistant coaches with them and built them up. as so, like Tex Winter and all that stuff, and find the right pieces as well to run this offense, but this guy, like, Phil follows his Zen philosophy and everything like that. It's really cool. I saw, like, when they were in his office, he has a little Zen garden thing. But it's, like, to me, that to tell him, like, straight up, this guy's winning you five championships to tell you, hey, this is going to be your last year. We're going to rebuild. Like, why? I, it's, like, I understand these players are getting up there, but honestly, I will say Phil was the glue that hold everybody together of that team. And then when Jordan said, hey, I don't, I'm not going to play for anybody else besides Phil.
1: Which I mean, he stood his ground where they were trying to divide teams between him and Jerry Krause. Like or Jerry Krause. Right? I mean, and then
0: Jerry Krause having this guy named Tim Floyd, he was trying to groom him to be the next person too to me that wasn't the one thing that kinda like brought to life was he had somebody in mind that's funny is because you know, Jerry Krause had a stepdaughter's wedding, he decided to buy Tim Floyd and everybody else, but he didn't even buy Phil. <laughs> so it gives you an idea that That's what? why he's trying to groom Tim Floyd that right?
1: Like that's what's that's what I didn't like about it too is That they went that penny down And I'm like okay Well you also don't have to go to this fucking stepdaughter's wedding I get it you invite the whole organization with It's like at the end of the day If I don't like the guy And he sends you an invite To his stepdaughter's wedding Just because everyone else gets invited I'll be like no Fucking kick rocks Like I don't care Then go Like congrats to your daughter's wedding But like you know and I know You don't want me there But For those little details I could just left out, I get it. They wanted to really cement the the divide of egos between Phil Jackson and and Jerry Krause. Terry. Jerry Krause. Uh, But, like, that's such a level of pettiness that we're like, all right, we get it. And then I I do like that they really do show that Jordan didn't fucking like him either because everyone knew It's like him, Jordan and Phil, why why, would you expect that between him and Phil to have that sort of... Working relationship because they worked so well. It's like we both have five championships together. I've known you since '90 when you got brought on. Like, this is a guy, why the fuck get rid of him? And if and if this guy came in knowing that he wants to rebuild the whole thing, maybe that Reinsdorf was kind of looking at that way too. Because you don't, they don't, maybe we'll see later on in the episodes, yeah. But it's like they never, they always failed to show how Reinsdorf could have been the one.
0: But to me, I kinda think but here from Reinsdorfer from his thing, he was more of a hands off type of owner. He was, he's not like, you know, like you see these other owners like Jerry Jones or Mark Cuban where they're pretty much involved like that, yeah. involved with the organization. Damn. I think Reinstorf was like, you know what? Jerry's my guy. I had him on he worked on the White Sox. I trust him. So to me that was kind of like he was more of the hands off type of owner. It's like he a would, weird loyalty thing. It was like yeah, like pretty much loyalty. But it's like Phil Jackson, the guy gives you five championships. Why, like, why
1: wouldn't you have? Why would you not
0: have the coaches back on that one? Like he's a coach, and like, oh no, Jerry's like oh they want to look at rebuilding. But I'm like, I understand your players out there. But if you look at that Bulls bench in the '90s, they had much young talent. But that was able to that's take what, over.
1: That's why they wanted to rebuild. Is that everyone was aging? So maybe that, that's that's what they pushed maybe uh, Jerry to have that like. Like I mentioned, they never cover how Reinsdorf really could have influenced Jerry. Because at the end of the day, he's answering to him too, right? Like we always focus on the Phil and him and the Krause shit, which is true. Like mm-hmm. they clearly had a fucking yeah. terrible working relationship. But at the end of the day, if if he knew the if he saw the writing on the wall that aging, which was always a factor in in in, in athletics and professional sports, aging is always a factor, especially in the NBA. Like. Once you're near 30, like, your prime your prime window is 26 to 28. Like, that's your, when you're, you know, fully developed, yeah. y- your peak should be there. So, we saw these guys already kind of going ahead of that curve already. So, with those I mean, with those two players specifically being so tied to Phil Jackson's philosophy, maybe Jerry and, and uh, Jerry Krausen wanted to get ahead of that, and Reinsdorf, being the owner of the team, and that's his money, he saw that. It's like, we can only hold this Jordan train for so long, even though it's like, fuck, they could have given us two more years still. I would say they would have given us Yeah, but no, that's not where we at, at at the part of the documentary, obviously. Um, but fuck. I, they already, they're already already giving us, like, the way the documentary starts, or like, I think once the second episode comes through, it already feels Game of thrones so they're, they're already going to give you the device, of the, yeah, the good and the bad guy that you want to hate.
0: And then, of course, this funny thing was, um, they did mention, here's one of the points that he brought up as well in the article, that the oh, yeah, Bulls yeah. traveling cocaine circus. Oh,
1: yeah, that was that great. That was
0: one of the funniest oh, interviews. Oh, time, this like, is what we're waiting
1: for. Yeah, I want these stories, they're calling the forefront. This is we're all watching it.
0: So this is what he says. Um, Pretty much, following good laugh at above headline that production crew <laughs> relates to him, Jordan told an eye-opening story from his rookie season. So it goes... Because you don't hear much of Jordan, you know, at that time when Jordan was a rookie, he wasn't seen as, you know... He was a kid, man. He was a kid. Compared to the other players, you know, they don't they didn't see him as being the top guy, you know. Of course, you know, when you're a rookie at that time, you're going to be hazing. And there's a lot of veteran players. So it's like, you're a young kid. You're going in and, you know... Making
1: all this money.
0: And then it says yeah. here... This is the story he said, this is what Jordan's story said. This is a corny article. After looking for his teammates for a bit, he entered a hotel room and he said was loaded with illicit drugs, including cocaine, women and what sounded like most of the roster. Explained that he immediately left the room fearing a potential raid by law enforcement. Jordan said, I'm pretty much on my own after that. For rookie displayed that level of maturity leadership and focus in the face of peer pressure was for strong intention. Yes. So he was, you know, and think about it, in all the interviews like even old players used to play with all teammates used to play with them. They said, you know, it's that orange juice and 7-Up was his go-to. Like, he didn't want to drink. He didn't want to smoke at that time. You know, he was a young kid, 21 years old.
1: He was just really disciplined.
0: He was real disciplined. That's yeah, why, it if you think about it, that's why he that the whole locker room at times. Like, if these guys are not going to help me levelate my game, I'm just going to do it on my own. And that's what he did. He usually took, like, the matter to his old hands. Um, so, yeah, that, that was an interesting story because that, to see that it's stuff like that that you're not going to find out. But But listening from his perspective, it was, like, interesting. As a young, you don't hear a lot about the rookie stories about, you know, in time going and going to the league. And and then pretty much, you know, the big thing in, before we get into like the Pippin and everything era, it's like. You know, and then, of course, you know, the second episode does talk about, you know, the load management when Jordan got hurt the second year. But so I like for a fact how they go to, like, six, like, like you said, they go through the flashback. They, they start when you know, well, actually, it just jumps
1: out. It jumps a lot.
0: I like idea. they did it, like, a little bit when it was in high school. I like they did it, and he was his mom, and that was kind of cool. The, yeah. mom, the letter, too, the because the young he was a young kid at the time. He was twenty young kid in college. You know, money wasn't, you know, big that then. You know, I saw the letter that he had sent his mom about he you asked know, for a little money, you know. And it's like pie campus living wasn't that you know great that time. And then it talks about you know when he got cut from high school, went back and started training again, getting this discipline up. Like his dad was always tough on him, just to you know you fall down, and get yourself back up. It was like a tough mentality, which to me it was like a discipline type of home. It wasn't you know, I seen their dad. I think their dad, I think his dad was.
1: In the- he was in the military, they, which it's very weird that they didn't. They, they and he, worked, he was an engineer, yeah. That. Like they clearly showed in this picture, he was wearing it when they showed the family. I think filming. that was
0: the oldest brother that was wearing the uniform. It wasn't his dad.
1: Oh yeah, because was sitting right there, yeah. right to the right. But nonetheless, like they kind of he ran a disciplined household, yeah. He was just like oh, and he was just in construction, like what?
0: He worked as an engineer for. Like, why Electric. didn't
1: they Because like obviously, his passing away it was just a, a a fucking big deal for him, but. uh, that's the problem I have with this thing is that they pace it back. That once they go back to the the flashback things and they provide more context context into the the first years with Jordan and, and Pippen. Like I like that little tidbits we get of trivia of how his experience was, like transitioning from college into the NBA. That's what we want. Like I like that. I like those stories or how Pippen went to Central Arkansas, or how he played in high school and like he was already kind of getting groomed into going to Central. Like he came from a a division, almost Division 3 college so like not it's very rare that you find Division 3 players getting put onto the NBA stage already but like I like those trivia bits but they spend a lot of time with the flashback doing some of these things to where it's like some of this stuff like as a casual NBA fan maybe you would have known of it but it's like as of somebody who's in this who under, like who follows the NBA and who knows about stories Jordan's background it's like alright we get it keep it going like I, I you know, I think they spend too much time on that and it takes away from the last year so it's like it ruins the pacing. Um but like I, I think it's cool that they they also show Jordan in high school. And they show him in college or show him how his discipline was already fucking there. And like, then in college was very, he was just
0: Mike and then he became Michael like, Yeah,
1: that. like he even as serious as his name being referred to as Michael and he was even took that seriously. Like he like his his whole mission that was, was kind of cool. That.
0: They talked to Roy Williams, who was assistant on our DC, yeah. So was...
1: Like, we, I like that. Like, little tidbits that provides us his character in, in the background because we already know he's best, we know it. But, but we don't to know see what him, like, that way. yeah, how, why,
0: we like, saw that he had his old friend and teammate and roommate yeah. talk about how disciplined he was. And like, you know. that's
1: why you should do flashbacks for shit that. We, the general public, doesn't know that you it's like the only way you would find this out is if you went into a book, like an autobiography or like an unofficial take. By someone of his like who was around him like jordan's fucking trainer or his uh his massage therapist like shit like that not like things that espn's been doing for years already that you can see on a youtube video it's like this is espn so i'm not gonna blame the person who edited this because they've done they've done a good job so far mm-hmm. um this is what we know it's just that like it takes away the pacing from a documentary it, it doesn 't really it doesn 't really have a central line it 's only the first episode you kind of want to get that hashed out right away it's, and so now it just feels like it 's a jar documentary with with the ninety eight championship on the side okay and this
0: is another point that the oh, uh, good, the good. article says on the last stance tell a coach going for a sixth championship in ac is all with the organization. That would be his final campaign before he even starts to fight his explanation. But as Stein explained, the tension between Kraus and team seemed to be become fuel for the championship run. In the team's first former meeting before the 97-98 season, Jackson introduced the theme for the journey they were about to undertake. On the laminated card pages of the booklets, Jackson distributed to the players Roman numerals 1 through 6 as well as the last dance. So, I mean, that take for that's like... You know, after the discussion with Jerry and all that stuff, he and, and, and decided to come up as usual and just decide, you know, he does these booklets where pretty much what the plan is for the season, and there it goes the last dance. And I think it's like, you know, this is the last time that could be here. I think, you know, not just Phil seeing it, but Jordan seeing it, then, you know, maybe he heard to the grave find that it could be Phil's last year. I mean, it's like, yeah. and I think with Jordan, you know, and also same thing too, you know, now the pressure falls on them, like, hey, let's make, you know, Phil, let's just do this. Let's do one more run and just come out on top again. Um, but, yeah, to me, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, Phil taking this stride of, you know what? Like, okay, I'm not coming back, but at least I want to, come, I just want to finish the season on a high note. Knowing that, you know, the front office, you know, Jerry's, Jerry Cross is not like me right now, you know. At the same time it's like I owe it to the players who st- who stuck by me, thick and thin, you know, we gotta do this, we got work together and pretty much
1: come out on top.
0: Conduct business as usual basically.
1: Which is pretty awesome to get out of a coach on his final year of contract. Like you it's <laughs> And and that's the question you should ask of your of your staff after winning that fifth championship. Is like, can we do this again, even with the aging roster? But like the roster they had was so strong, regardless. So it's like, how can they not do it a year after? The only thing we would have to worry about is injuries, and even throughout that that last season, they didn't really have a lot. Like, I mean, the
0: biggest thing was um, Scotty, which the second season. Yeah, kind of the second game, episode it, kind of talks about it. Yeah, they and right I think up. this next bullet point is going to talk about the second mm-hmm. about um. The second episode, um, this is what Jordan's quote said, and this is what the, the bullet points one of the Graham's most underrated superstars. And yes. of course, you were a big Pippin fan, yeah, growing fair. up. So, and this is what Jordan said, I consider him my best teammate of all time. It's hard to imagine anyone else who can even compete for that title. And it says here, this is from the article, Pippin was a revolutionary point forward, point forward who averaged 20.0 points, 7.3 rebounds, six point assists. 2.2 steals and 0.9 blocks over the course of the years in which Chicago won the six championships. With those numbers, that would leap off the page for most players tell Shia Jordan's. And as the superstar spent much of his career as the number two, he probably doesn't get the credit he deserves. The documentary's focus on his versatility, ability, and upbringing at the start of the second episode was refreshing. The stories he had about witnessing his father's stroke and later his brother's paralysis at the hands of a classmate in gym class were particularly moving. The understated, persistent excellence they brought throughout his career was refined by those experiences. Had he wound up on another team, those trades may have earned him more recognition and conversations about the greatest players of all the time. But his perfect fit alongside MJ led to a title, to six titles in eight years. And this is um, what there's more of that point. Um, this is what Phil Jackson said. He was maybe the number two player in the NBA. And this is the one thing that the um, which we want to get into because I don't want to read the rest of this bullet point. But yeah, go. Ahead. If you want to get into it, um, about the deal that he signed, they talk about that deal that Scotty signed in '99. Oh, um,
1: yeah, let's, yeah, let's and oh, God, and this is what
0: this. this is what the article oh. says. This is the opinion from yeah. the, uh, the writer, the article yeah. right, said, The yeah. Spandals, information mission, he's been trilling Jordan, David Robson, and John Stock, and Carvalho, and Charles Barkley in the box plus minus. But as the documentary pointed out, he was the 122nd in the league. In an annual salary from the 1997-98 campaign, the deal he signed in '91 was for 17.5 million in '98, and Bulls' owner Jerry Reinsdorf refused to renegotiate. So think about that. and He's comparing, and this is. And look at this and this is a way this was sort of like when the Golden State War situation when they had Steph Curry yes. had up a below market contract mm-hmm. due to his ankle issues that allowed them to later add at Kevin Durant. He got hurt when their
1: game you have a
0: top later. five or a net minus ten player like Pip and barely making start level money, it makes building a championship <sighs> roster much easier.
1: Okay. So So what you think
0: of that? Because so, that was one of the big takeaways from the documentary in yeah. the second well, episode. Well,
1: because for a lot of reasons. Uh, but two key points after that. So Leading up to it because it is very similar to the Steph Curry situation, but we'll, we're we're only going to focus on the Pippen shit. So in that year, we're talking 1991. That was after the 1991 season when they won the first championship. Yeah, Pippen signed in '87. Remember, he got drafted yes. by the
0: Seattle SuperSonics, yes, and then he got, then he got, he got traded it. to the Bulls. Um, traded to the Bulls because I think it was we find out that pretty much Jerry think. Krause made a deal with Seattle to draft mm-hmm. Pippen first They draft him so they could get him because he was scouting him. A he was scouting. Lot.
1: Him. Um. Now, mind you, so he was still—he had just been on the tail end of his rookie co- or of his the rookie contract he had signed that mm-hmm. Bulls picked up the option with, and so, through the trade, so they took that over. Now, obviously, given that they won the championship on that tail end of his contract year, that always looks good in the player's favor. Now, Pippen, by any reme- any means, he was he was ranked based on the contract of 122nd player on that. For in the NBA, which that kind of money, is, yeah. although he was playing, he was playing like a beast. Leading up, they were both still developing, but at that championship year, he was good enough to really negotiate his contract so he can get more money. The only reason why a lot of people are 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 like mad about this because of the 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 amount of time that that contract had him under, which is seven years for eighteen million. And obviously, in that time, the money the money number. That eighteen million sounds crazy based on NBA standards to the day. However, you have to factor in that the NBA wasn't making as much money as it is now. Yeah. At the at that time, we're talking about the early nineties where everything's really getting pushed up. The dream team thing was getting pushed up as far as my NBA was just on that bubble of being pushed into being that like household name where the NBA transitioned like our NBA stars were transitioning into being like pop culture figures with the Olympics helping that shit. Yeah. But Pertaining to my to Scottie Pippen situation, because his, I think it
0: was like, yeah, he took the money. I think because of his family. Because right? He,
1: but like, so, and that's what a lot of people forget because they, they you have to like remember what he was fighting. where he came from coming from humble means, which the documentary did a good job of showing that. Yeah, which I like why that. he could that could have been a factor. Which obviously, when you're signing in something that has to do with your livelihood. And with his kind of roots, he wanted to take care of his family. That's a good way of taking care of it. And in, in either way, eighteen million dollars is nothing to laugh at. We're talking ninety ninety one. Either way, you're talking for seven years. He's guaranteed money for mm-hmm. seven years, whether he's injured or not, or if the the organization takes, they're gonna have to buy him out if he, whatever the case may be. It's a win win situation. From at the end of the day, it's just that when you're looking at the lens of it from now. Ba- and looking back into it, it's hard to really put that shit in your mind to where this... How can Scotty sign for a contract like this? Knowing that his star power was going through the roof, winning that first championship, being the right-hand man to Jordan. Mm-hmm. All that's getting sculpted through, even though it's only been the first championship that the Bulls won in the, in the 90s era. The first one. So yes, we see the star power. So I think... People, like, I, if I can only, I can't speak for Scotty, but I can see him factoring in a sense that it's like, that's seven years that I have a guaranteed job. And if you come from humble means, longevity through security is way more important than what, how much money you're making. Because the money's coming in. Guaranteed money is way more important than speculative money. Yeah. Way more important than when you get that signed contract that's guaranteed seven years. That's seven years that he's not going to go hungry. And that his family isn't gonna go hungry. So, yeah, is it crazy for him to sign something like that? Yeah, because he was he only got better, and we and Scotty became probably the the second best player behind the best player in the world. And that's not a laughing matter. But it sucks that like he has to always be the, the Robin to Jordan's Batman. I mean, that's
0: what the, that's what they compared. Yeah, the, even uh, though it's right. like by
1: any standards, Scotty is fucking the beast.
0: Hey Jordan, recognized? Yeah, it in like, my MJ Jordan like, knew it. Yeah, like if
1: Jordan can see that, it's very. Su- I'm very surprised that nobody else can just fucking see that. And he was. They're both playing with each other, and they know it. Um, but yeah, I, what do you think?
0: I believe mean, what me the with Scotty decision at least. Okay, you know, Scotty. From that point, you know, it's like yeah. If you looked at 17.5 million for seven years, it's like you know, yeah. It's like yeah. I don't know if he saw himself as the number two guy, but at the same time, you think about I don't know if his agent, like I saw that he didn't communicate with his agent so much, but it's like, um, I understand, yeah, you know, yeah, I didn't see, I don't know if he saw himself as the number two to to Michael Jordan, but at the same time, it's like he thought about his family. So what I liked about what season two, episode two, was it it showed his background, you know, he was um, one of 12 kids. You know, his dad had a stroke when he was confined to a wheelchair, and you know, one of his brothers ends up, you know, he had an accident, and he's in the wheelchair, but it's like, for him to step up and, look. Like, you know, I gotta do something, then working himself, you know, he started as an equipment manager, and eventually he was able to get into the game of basketball, became one of the stars of Central Arkansas, and then, you know, coming out to the Bulls at the same time, and it talks about, you know, Charles Oakley, who... You think about it, before, you know, Pippen became Jordan's, you know, right hand man, Charles Oakley was always uh, Jordan's, you know, go-to guy because, you know, he always took care of, you know...
1: Been on since his rookie year.
0: Yeah, he took like, care of him and stuff. And then, of course, you know, Scotty had to take through the hazing a little bit. You saw there was a little hazing. He showed a little clip of that. And, of course, when Oakley got traded away, the when they brought in, like, Horace Grant and all that stuff, Bill Cartwright...
1: traded
0: for him. He traded for Bill Cartwright Knicks. to the Knicks. <laughs> so, it's like... Same time, it's like, Scotty had to step up, but to me, that deal was like, yeah, I wish he should have done was, I understand to the point, oh, I got to take care of my family, which I totally understand that. But if he had an ability to talk to ZJ, hey, let's go over the deal again and see if we can try to get pushed that money, because, it, okay, it's in 91, and they didn't know in two years that Jordan was going to leave, take an 18-month sabbatical. And knowing for a fact, okay, Jordan leaves in 93, and after the 93 season, he leaves, decides to do baseball for 18 months, and you left for Scotty. Wouldn't the, wouldn't the Bulls, I think Sky could have used that as fuel to renegotiate to get a bigger up in the deal. Because, hey, you lost MJ. You lost him. And you need somebody to step up to be like that leader. And Sky was, to me, that ta- that time, when Jordan wasn't out with the Bulls that time, Scotty was the leader of that team. But... Jerry Reiser decided, you know, saying in seeing that episode that oh, he's not going to renegotiate, he didn't want to renegotiate with Scotty. was like to me, that was kind of like a bullshit.
1: Yeah, and
0: yeah, to me, I see Scotty as one of the top, you know, players in the NBA, but it's the problem is everyone sees him as the number two. That's the, that's to me, that's like the one thing I kind of you know, they don't give him enough credit, and he is one of the underrated players in the NBA.
1: Oh, yeah, tremendously. Okay, it's just it's sad because it's always. fucking... Although he's the best player in the world, or Michael Jordan is, it's hard to wave him off. That he could have easily been on that forefront. I mean, he showed it when Jordan retired that first time. Like he, he was the MVP of the year. He took the Bulls to the Eastern Conference Finals. Like they went, they went far just when, it, just in one year after he was gone. So it just, it really showed that Pippen was just good enough to even lead a team on his own. Yeah, at, and during his prime. Um, so it, it's just, it's sad to see that he gets kind of overshadowed in the talks like that. But he's definitely a, like, it's and we have to always make this list bigger as NBA progresses to who's the best who's the best players in, in, of all time. And he's got to be on there. He's got to be on that list. So there hopefully, people watching that second episode can kind of get a better appreciation for how important Scottie was to Jordan. Like how how you can honestly see just how the Bulls were they were fucking stacked for for how how they built their their teams around veterans and then sprinkling in a couple of these the young gunners coming in into the NBA so it was like a, it's like a good blueprint of what a, a lot of teams use to this day uh, and the, the 90s NBA players were no slouch there was a lot of athletic beasts and Sky Pippen and Jordan obviously were one of them for despite their heights, even though they're tall enough, there were a lot of athleticism was there. And so it's just, it's fucking, it's crazy that Scotty signed the contract like that for it being how low and how long and for how much money he could have asked for and for how long it is. But, you know, 1991, I'm sure his parents don't fucking regret it. I'm sure his family don't. And he obviously doesn't either. I'm sure Scotty would have been fine either way. It's just that at that time... It looks
0: like it's insane. I would say that here's another point we were talking back on um, MJ's formative years. This is what pretty much you know, like I said, part of the documentary spent time with Joe, Jordan's childhood in Wilmington, North Carolina. You know, he grew up in that and talks about you know, I kind of like for the Jordan talks about like growing up in that town. It was a small town when you everybody and you know racism and all that stuff kind of brought it up to light. But of course, it's cool seeing you know you get to hear the other Jordan siblings talk about you know growing up like their dad in general, how his like work ethic was and. You know and how you know he talks about you know, One of George brother's Ronnie, he said that if you if you weren't doing the best you could he'll push you harder, saying, you know, it's one of those things where um you know, it was the whole mentality was, hey, if you're not feeling living out to your potential, then give yourself that extra vision. Push yourself to try to reach that potential. well what was your point from that? What do you mean? Like Pretty much what um, MJ's dad, like, at that time, like, growing up, like, with them growing up. And, you know, Jordan having those battles with his brother Larry as well. Oh, yeah, he
1: kind of gave him tough love in the beginning just so he could kind of give Jordan that edge he needed to... Because I I don't know if it's maybe the dad recognizing his own competitiveness inside himself as a a characteristic of his personality. But clearly, if that was going to get passed down to his offspring and, and Jordan and Michael were no slouch... Michael Jordan was no slouch, his brother Jeffrey was no slouch either, and and with Michael recognizing his brother was being the better basketball player, we have to thank his brother for that, for kind of increasing Michael's competitive drive and really kind of molding it, because without him we wouldn't maybe see the beast that Michael could have been, or the beast that he was when he was in the NBA and shit how come they don't they don't make enough documentaries on his brother because i gotta thank his brother larry yeah because
0: he was like the top of the family i think
1: his dad his dad kind of giving him that sort of motivation some people call it tough love i call it more or less like recognizing that you have to win or lose and jordan recognizes that and i think once he hated he hated the feeling of losing so much he drove that out of his mind and I think that's what led to his gambling addictions, too. I know. Well, well, yeah. You know, so, I mean, competitiveness goes into every factor of life. Even if it's the most smallest, the most small things in this world, that shit just goes everywhere.
0: Okay, here's another thing. Um, This is one thing I kind of brought up one of those points earlier was Jordan wanted no part of load management. and It, it goes into his second year in the NBA. You know, find the broken foot that signed him for the majority of his sophomore NBA season Jordan oversaw his own rehab process back in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So he went back to the school, basically, and pretty much you know rehab there. It says that when he returned at the end of the season, he was on a seven-minute per half playing time restriction, and he did not like it. Yeah, because what he did was you know he did his own rehab basically, and when yeah, he, right. when he came back, like, one of his legs was stronger than the other, and it was like. But at that time, they you know they didn't want to take the risks. So they, the, this is where like where the front office pretty much dictate the coach what to do basically at that time, and the coach at that time I don't know what his name was, and pretty much um, cause I forgot what his name the was. Of the yeah, before you know Phil took over, but at that time I don't think his name was Stan. So pretty much he told like the head coach Stan like, hey, don't play him more than seven minutes a game, My like net. seven minutes a half basically. That
1: was ridiculous.
0: Because they didn't want to risk him yeah. getting hurt again. Which. <laughs> Which I understand, but it pretty much made MJ who went behind their honestly, he went behind her backs and did the whole his own rehab training. And he started doing scrimmages as well. And pretty much he made himself stronger. And like basically in his leg and everything, his foot and everything. And it's like and of course, you know, it talks about this one game of the season that would've that would have put him like, because they were I think they were almost gonna if they won, I was guess the Pacers they won, they would have made the eighth seed in the playoffs. And of course, it was a lot, it was like a few seconds left, and you know Jordan and Jordan was at that point where his you know his playing time limit was at that point, and MJ got pissed at the coach saying, "Hey, it's only three one six in. Why don't you put me in? Keep me in for the last seconds?" But yeah, then the, the coach is like, "No, MJ, I can't do that because then I'll get fired. I will lose my job." And of course, it ended up being John Paxson up hitting the the, the game-winner. And, of course, uh, pretty much, apparently, according to the, what the opinion was here in the article, that basically the documentary suggested this may have been the moment that the distress between MJ and the front office began. So That's when MJ started hitting, I guess, the tension started building from that point on. And then, of course, it leads to, like, the 1986 playoffs, which, you know, they end up facing the Boston Celtics. And it's kind of funny that it shows, like, you know, you said Jordan's gambling thing where... He invited Danny Age to play
1: golf after their first game or something against the Celtics. But he used, he used that as a way to to get to know his opponent, though. That competitive edge. Like obviously him winning money gambling with his with the NBA his fellow NBA colleagues is one thing, but uh, he also used that as a way to kind of you could it, when you play sports, it's and especially when you organized sports, that's a way of like unconsciously subliminally getting making your Opponent softer towards you because you build a camaraderie when you guys kind. of It's like basically sleeping with your enemy. You know, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. It's kind of that deal. And since they faced each other in the playoffs that first run, and they still had Bird obviously coming off through the Showtime era, so like he courting him on the on the golf nine is is one day is one way of him kind of fucking being a snake in the sense that like he broke down his opponents that way. So that way on the court, and he's viewed as like, oh, what the- but Michael, and he- we bought milkshakes the other day. Why is he so mean to me? And It's like, no, it's just part of the game. But we saw that kind of come out.
0: Oh, yeah, we'll get into that point. Um, yeah. This is I want to go over to this 1986. So, yeah, they faced Boston. Boston. was the only one seed. And it says your court to the article, over three games, he averaged 4.3.7 points. 6.3 rebounds, 5.7 assists, 2.3 steals, 1.3 blocks. In game two alone, he, dro- he dropped 63 points. That was like one of those top performances, leading the Bulls to overtime against the Boston. And this is what Larry Bird said. "Fortune for us, we had the last shot. I had never seen it before. I had never seen it after. That wasn't Michael Jordan out there. That was God disguised as Michael Jordan. <laughs> and based on those highlights of that Commander Stroll of his shooting, oh, my God. Like, he, he went insane that game. Just trying to carry that team. Of course, unfortunately, they end up losing the, the series to Boston. But even you know, players on Boston's side, they were amazed. They were in awe of you know Jordan, like his intensity, you know, his agility and his power. Just you know, trying to make every shot possible, trying to carry his team to be on par with the Celtics, who like you said, wanted to them and the Lakers were like the top dogs when it came to like the NBA at that time. And you know, it's hearing it from Larry Bird, who was one of the greatest you know NBA players as well. Getting that quote—it's like amazing at that time. This was always Jordan's second year
1: in the NBA. And yeah, he's making like, like,
0: like—he's already making an impact, basically.
1: And and, I mean, for those guys who were in the league since the '70s to recognize that within the—I want to say—two years playing in a professional league, it's like to get a co-sign from Larry Bird at those times, and he's your opponent—is it's—it's gotta be insane to your spirit and knowing that it's like, oh well. It's like, I'm a beast, I'm here to take over. So we see, like, the NBA always picks this, this player to carry the light. And so at this point, Jordan was just kind of like, I'm going to take this torch, and I'm going to burn the shit out of it. <laughs> so, like, oh, 63 points in a fucking playoff game. It's insane. Come off the bench, just fucking pissed off. Like, ugh.
0: They gave him no play they gave- And of course, it's funny, the playoffs, they gave him unlimited playing time. So it was like...
1: It's like these stupid clauses they try to set him, at, set him up with. To protect your investment and stuff that the Bulls had thought. It's insane, but they didn't do what they do. All
0: right, so we're going to go ahead and take a little break. We'll come back and get the final points of the of the pretty much our discussion episodes 1 and 2, The Last Dance, so make sure to listen to our ad. And we'll be right back. So right now, if you go to teespring.com slash pop, and when you go to check out, use the promo code TALKPOP and save $5 on your order. Support the podcast. As always, geek on and take care. Alright guys, we're back. Hope you enjoyed that ad. Um, like getting to the last point, um, the last two points I like to bring out. Um, the first one was, you know, it showed Jordan being on top of his teammates. Did you saw that, how intense he was? They showed some clips where he was picking on the other players. Like, oh, the young yeah. guys, yeah. yeah. Luke boring. and everything. He was a...
1: He had to be, I think.
0: What do you think of that, dude? Like, honestly... Um... Because, like, you can tell that was from the footage from, like, you know...
1: I can't say it's... Unfortunately, I can't say that's a rare thing to find in competitive sports. Uh, you are always going to find the types to where they're kind of... I mean, it can be something that is kind of encouraged depending on where where your past is uh, as far as how, how much experience you have playing in competitive sports. That sort of competitive drive can be groomed to be something that is positive or it can be something that's negative when it comes to sportsmanship. And when you're playing with the best guy to touch the ball, such as Jordan, he's all about winning. So I, I can only assume that he wouldn't be the best player to I want to say probably work with as far as having a thick a thin skin is concerned. I'm sure he was just talking shit the whole time. He would always get in fights. But
0: Dude. you saw like yeah, there was one where he was talking about Brian Harper yeah, just practice clean. Uh, just shit. And awesome. then this young guy, I forgot his name. I don't know his last name is I forgot his first name. That one guy, that bald gentleman that he was talking to, and uh, was it Luke Long he was talking to? Then I saw that they were talking about Tony Kukoc uh, at one point when he was young. Okay, like Tony, like the Bulls were looking at him back in the day, and oh yeah, that um, one story in the Olympics where yeah, basically Scotty and, and Michael pretty much like pretty much like boxed him out when Coach Tony was playing for Croatia at the time in the Olympics, and the Bulls were looking at him at that time, and like they, I think '91 was the earliest we looking at Coach and of course he didn't join the league till <laughs> '93. After the '93 season, he joined the league, but he got signed by the Bulls. But that time when Jordan Pippen heard his name got brought up. Um, they decided, you know, there's a story where in the Olympics when Jordan Paper were on the Dream Team and they were playing Croatia, they were boxing Tony out. Because I don't know they were trying to get, you know, see where he's at, if he can fit in.
1: Because Tony Kukoc was this wonder kid in in, in international basketball. Like, he was this product, like, this next the next international star to cross over into the NBA because of his size, his shooting ability, uh, the way he played defense. And it's just, he was, like... Very much, he could have been like a Croatian Scottie Pippen type of player. I think that's when, cool. when you in the Olympics, obviously, the reputation w- carries with him, and, and when they first started doing international play with the Dream Team, kind of when being the such NBA an was allowed, thing. Thing. when yeah. it was
0: allowed to play, and yeah, when
1: they're top dogs, you're gonna talk shit no matter where you go, and so like, for them knowing this guy, and then when he getting brought onto the team, and that's what's crazy that the, That's what's like another thing that they brought on so many good veterans. Like it's fucking insane. Um, but I'm glad they, like, got on that to where they show that, like, are these guys that we worship, as far as their, like, their talent and their skills, can also be brought down a couple notches of how much assholes they could be towards other players.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, you know, this brings up to the last point I wanted to bring up, because, of course, one of the big thing was, the Pippen trade the man. Um, pretty much at that time, you know, when the Bulls were at the precinct they were in Paris... And then Chip Pippen was gonna play. Apparently, he had this foot injury he had from the from the Eastern Conference Finals, was a lot the season before, and he played pretty much through the pain, through the NBA Finals in '97. He decided Pippen decided, you know what, well, I'm gonna instead of waiting until after the, the previous season to get surgery or any treatment, he waited till the beginning of this coming season to do it, to sit out, and basically to take that injury, which. To me, I think it showed that MJ wasn't too happy about it because basically he had to carry the team. Because he saw that throughout the preseason, he played every game of the preseason. Usually in preseason, you don't want to, you know, you try to, you know, limit the time of your starters to a certain time and give other players a chance to show like the bench to show their, you know, prospects of being making the team. But the show that MJ decided to play every single game of that preseason tournament and... You know, he had to, like, work with Tony Kukoc, he had to work with other players, and they showed, like, his competitiveness to the point that he started, you know, chastising, calling out teammates, you know, for not, you know, doing what they're supposed to be doing or not following protocol, because he was missing, you know, Scotty because Scotty got him. Yeah. Scotty got, you know, he knew MJ's competitive drive, knew what he looks for when it comes to being competitive in certain plays, and, you know, Jordan had to deal with, you know, and I hadn't Sky his side for those few mo- first few months of the season. Um, and, of course, you know, this brings to the point, the whole trade demand. Because, you know, I think all oh, because of the deal he got. Because I think that's what kind of haunted sky at that point was the deal he had. And plus, knowing for fact this was his last year, you know, they're not going to renegotiate my deal or nothing, not to get more money. You know, I, I want to get a trade. And that's the one thing I didn't know about that. I didn't know that, that he demanded a trade. So like I said, I didn't follow this game that much. I didn't read the newspapers. I was just I was playing video games and, you know, just watching NBA games. I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. So that's why this this episode, the second episode, of course ended on a cliffhanger. Um, we don't know what happened after that. And and Jordan thought what well, his opinion according to this article. This is what Phil said, um
1: His opinion on the trade. Or the trade. No, basically,
0: running? this is what Phil said. Pippen started to Jerry Jerry in front of the team. And shortly yeah. after Pippen, who was associated with trade rumors that summer, said he would not play another game for the team. So that explains why he sent out most of the 97 98 season. God. And then when Jordan, and it says here, when Pippen demanded a trade, Jordan thought that was selfish. Of course, that didn't come to fruition. Of course, well, the trade never he happened, but selfish. But probably we won't know until Sunday, because then the way the episode ended was the cliffhanger.
1: Well, yeah. I mean,. Well, you know if you follow it through the years and you look back, but like he was kind of being a little selfish, which that hence why a lot of the NBA players that got a couple notes from the other NBA players on how they viewed you know him signing that contract. In another sense, is like he was being selfish, knowing that they were. It's like that's what sucks is that he He got hurt. He knew the terms of the deal. He still signed it. Gets hurt, which nobody can predict, obviously. But he didn't take the trim right away. He decided to wait. Right. You see, that's the problem is that like at the end of the day, that's why it's hard to feel bad for Pippen at the same time because it's like he, he signed the deal. He was the one being selfish at the end of the day, which the, cliff, the cliffhanger is there. But now hopefully we're going to – the cliffhanger Hopefully, would be is that we're going to get to see Scotty and what his perception of everything was going into that deal because only he knows, right? So, so why like, he demanded that trade, why yeah. Why the fuck would he get? Yeah, knowing his terms that he signed way back in 91. That's what it's like, oh fuck. That's why it's so hard to it's whole it's so hard to see Pippen being I'm not the victim in this, but being to where it's like you may have gotten a little bit like it's hard to say that he got swindled because he really didn't. It was like your selfishness kinda took over that that deal It's so fucked, because it's like, people, we all come at this in a different, like, different roots, and then the way ESPN gives us his background, it's kind of hard to see that, like, yeah, he's a humble guy, but at the end of the day, it's like, he was also making six figures, like, the fuck are you doing? Like, seven, eight figures, almost eight, almost seven figures, like, it's crazy to not, it's crazy to feel bad for Pippen, but it's also crazy not to feel bad for him, Mm -hmm. it's just, but that selfishness is fucking there. And that's where we see Jordan say it, and I think it was, it was, uh, we may, they may have caught him the way they edited, they may have caught him after sipping, uh, after sipping his whiskey, cause, uh, I was listening to another podcast and they brought, they noticed that he's like, did you notice on the, the way they're presenting the little sound bites from Jordan, that his whiskey, his glass of whiskey was getting up and then it was getting down and it's like getting up. I was like, I wonder at different points where like the more and more he started sipping, the more and more drink got a little more loose. And start saying more shit. I and mean, then they might have caught him at that point where he's just like, you know what, he was a little selfish. Pippen was being selfish. But it's like, that's going to start like Twitter shit. I'm I'm assault- I'm only going to assume. I mean, I already seen, like, the Jerry Krause memes yeah. already. I want that to be a meme when it's Jordan. It's just like, that's selfish. Like, and yeah, the Jerry Krause shit. Like, that's just like, oh, come on, dude. But, like, and then you see,
0: like, you saw in the footage, like, Jerry, like jordan picking on him him and pippen were picking on you yeah, and god, all the time amazing, they were like movement,
1: like they were like <laughs> ribbing him so much it's like you getting to you talking to your talking shit to your boss knowing that they need you more than you need them that's that energy that's the energy that a lot of people felt like they were just oh god it was just like what did he say uh they're talking oh. about his height oh yeah they were weird. picking on because of his
0: height yeah
1: yeah like Fuck! Like, oh, they were, oh, they were so mean to him. And like, I get it. Like, Jerry kind of earned that shit too because like, he did man, in are, no way he uh, the way because the He went uh, right into the
0: front office. Yeah. So man. we saw episodes one two. What's your takeaway for our final point, Beagle, What was your takeaway from you know these first two episodes?
1: Um, I'm first of all I'm excited to see more. Uh, I think so far so good. I, I mean, it's 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 getting. I mean, it it ignited the uh, ignited the interest and the enthusiasm I had for the Bulls uh, growing up. It's nice to see these. Uh, uh, it's beautifully done. I mean, it just it's so professionally well put. Uh, just the way that the footage is. Uh, it's like you kind of enter a weird time warp. And and I think what I do like about it the most is so it's because I get to see these players in its present day right now. Um, depending on how long ago they filmed these interviews, but like it's nice to see. Jordan, somebody so iconic as Michael Jordan being, you know, in his natural element, just kind of talking and him reflecting on those times. Uh, Pippen as well. Um, I get to see these guys who I I still idolize to this day, um, kind of you know telling the story at a certain point in their lives that were was important to them, and I get to see this with a, an adult lens now that I can I, know, I can understand where they're go what they were going through. Uh, and it kind of reignited my love for the game and, and how important the Bulls were to my childhood And how important they are now to this day We'll never stop watching the Bulls uh, But fuck I mean, my favorite part too Was watching Jordan's Black Chain That shit was so cool, I wanted one it, It's probably worth more than my life But like, that shit Just to just to see him so relaxed Like somebody who was so disciplined And a model of how you could live your life Through your love of of a certain thing and to see him so relaxed and to tell his story. We haven't seen any clips of on, on Phil Jackson just yet. But uh, We
0: saw a few of like, those interviews so far.
1: Oh, yeah. But I don't know if it's the most present one. It, those are like the older ones. I want to see... Because like, Phil... Oh, yeah, he does look a little older. Might have been present the most. But I want to see more players in, the, in that roster that they're going to talk to, hopefully. Uh, hope, I'm sure we're going to get on our next episode. Or next week, we're probably going to get a, a Dennis Rodman episode. Hopefully, we will probably get around the Harvard episode. So I'm really excited to see what's. I want to see this documentary unravel some more, and to see more like bullshit, like some more, you know, In the
0: front like, office, TV you know, behind fucking the scenes gossip yeah. that they
1: had. More like you know, more. But like I said, hopefully, perspective on the things that were going on.
0: Like my take on this whole thing, the perception—it's cool because, like I said, I, I we get to revisit you know the '90s. You know, like I said, I we both grew up in the nineties, but seeing like stuff like this, you know, that that, that you get that nostalgia feeling. Yeah. Because, like, this generation, they're not going to understand who Jordan was. You know, no, our generation, I'm saying. Right now, this generation yeah. is more like Steph Curry, LeBron, and all that stuff. But, like.
1: Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant.
0: But seeing, you know, our time. Our, you know, we had Michael Jordan. We had Scottie Pippen. We had Shaquille. And then we had all these players. But it's like, to see this in a new light, just to get at our perspective. And by hearing from them, like, years, 20, like, almost 20-something years after the last championship. But like I said, Chicago, you know, that was the only good thing Chicago had going for was the NBA. Hawks were doing that well. Cubs and White Sox weren't doing that well. Oh, that was the only bright spot of Chicago, the Bears saying wait, that was the only bright spot of the city was Jordan was the face of Chicago. But it's like seeing that and, you know, the stuff going on behind the scenes was interesting to me because it's like I didn't know about these stories. I know what's going on. I didn't know. true Tr- Pivot was, you know, he signed this deal. I didn't know that, you know, he was demanding this trade and what, you know, Phil and the front office had. They were butting heads that Jordan and Pivot didn't have any respect for the front office as well. It's like, like basically like egos. Think about it. It's more like an ego type of thing where, you know, everyone tries to be the top one, like be the alpha, basically. And, you know, I like it. I like the presentation. You know, yeah, the pacing was kind of like, you know, they kept going back and forth to Jordan, you know, the timeline and stuff. But I kind of understand why they had to go that route is because they showed more of the background where they're coming from. You know, where Jordan came from, where Pippen came from, you know, Phil. Hopefully, they do a little bit about Phil Jackson, where he came from as well. Hopefully, they do background on him because he was a former player and he was an assistant coach. And, you know, get more of his perspective as well. Jerry Cross, you're only going to see most of his archive interviews because, you know, he's been passed away so many yes, years. years. So ago. it's basically to bring, you know, whatever footage they were able to get.
1: <laughs> that kind of makes you feel bad. They're
0: like. <laughs> Ruby Rain a guy, he's been dead for a few years. And I get
1: it, like we should I mean, it's not like they don't do it with everybody else that's in pop culture, but like holy shit, yeah. It's like kinda sucks that this guy's gonna get brought back into the forefront, even though he's been passed away for years just to get shit on again. <laughs> like,
0: but overall <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I am I can't wait for episodes three and four because I know it's gonna come out this Sunday. Um hopefully we get to see the what happened with that trade, if there was any trade candidate if Pippin was about to be traded. And we'll see, because eventually, you know, if he followed the NBA, that NBA that season, he didn't get traded. He yeah. stayed for the rest of the, the rest of the time. But yeah. I'm just kind of curious to see who was the front runner for Scotty, because I heard there was a another article too that like saying that, him- that Tracy McGrady was one of the names too. This was during the '97 yeah. season that mm-hmm. that he was, and I guess Jordan vetoed it. I remember that shit. And Jordan vetoed it, like Jordan said, no.
1: That's why. That's why they ended up which call it, and that was after his rookie year with Raptors. And that's because Vince Carter was getting, because uh, they were both together. And that's, t- what, you said 97? Yeah. So, like, at, yeah, he left the Raptors in 98 to get traded to the Magic. So, like, they were going to they were gonna try to bring Tracy McGrady on and get rid of Pippen because he's age. And then T-Mac, we all know he was an excellent fucking player. If he didn't get hurt so many damn times, he'd be one of the best, too. So, it's like, we get to see that.
0: And there was an article to talked about, like, right? that Jordan vetoed it.
1: Like, he uh, went against it. God, God. I show how much Jordan had pull. The Bulls wouldn't have suffered as badly as they did it once they left. I mean, who, uh, then again, the Bulls are making... The front office had their own fucking disasters in the in early 2000s. But nonetheless, like...
0: ultra,
1: uh, You could have seen the Bulls maybe... In a different light with when once the... What would you call that era, I guess? The golden years, right? Mm-hmm. Just like everybody else calls it. It's a golden age... the Bulls could have been maybe we could have seen it last a little longer than we did yeah Uh, but yeah this is what I'm that's my intention at least my goal or what I'm looking for out of that documentary at least what we're seeing is shit that we didn't get to see not like a rehashing of things I know they have to you know appease to a, a general audience but as a as a person who was around for that shit I want to see the stuff that, they, that wasn't mentioned or was glossed over What was, you know, fun, things that are getting uncovered as we speak from the people that were experiencing this on the forefront. Um, but as far as I know, ESPN fucking, I'm looking forward to the newest ep- two episodes because it's two episodes every time, right? Mm-hmm. So it's two episodes every time, guys. Uh, I suggest if you guys don't have ESPN or if you have a chance of recording it and watching it later or do whatever you need to do to get it, to watch it I suggest doing that, uh, not only as a casual fan of the game, or as somebody who knew of Michael Jordan but wanted to know more of his impact during that last year, um, or if you were an NBA fan but weren't wasn't from or weren't from the Chicagoland area or from Chicago who who was outside the city to really see the impact I had on Chicago uh, and as a, as a sports city in general. Um, throughout the 90s. I, I highly recommend seeing this documentary because it's quarantine time, guys.
0: Yeah, so I get the feeling, guys, this is what's going to be for the next, like, few weeks. Um, We're pretty much going to break down every single episode mm-hmm. of The Last Dance, Second Man Because, like I said, a lot of, like, entertainment right now is getting pushed into the back burner right now. A lot of movies are getting pushed back to next year. Pretty much every single event is getting pushed to next year. Like, Comic-Con was recently canceled. Yeah. WonderCon was canceled. Um... Anime Expo was canceled, a lot of conventions. Even to the point, even in LA right now, I just read this morning that even the LA mayor said that I don't think there will be no events or sporting events until next year. So it's like it, that puts like a lot of things in perspective. Like, because like I said, it t- shows how serious this pandemic is going. And I totally understand you know, a lot of athletes, they want to get back into the mix and start training. But I get the feeling, you might as well just... This year will be just a forgotten year, start off fresh next year.
1: I mean, yeah, you might have to see everything kind of... And that's sad because a lot of, I mean... And, and, like, I know they were as trying as to say the NBA yeah, and A lot of players were really Coming up this year and it's really sad To see I guess you could see that Their stats being kind of just A placemat and such a Such a year as weird as this one Starting off and what we're going into The summer it's so fucked For everything involved and Everything's kind of just carried on as if it's not really happening, but we all know this is everything is just kind of surreal. And yeah, was on the wall. It's, yeah. it's hard to fucking tell at this point. Um,
0: but hopefully you guys are staying safe from staying inside, you know, as much as you can. You know, I want to give a shout out to all the essential workers out there, especially those oh, yeah, in the guys. medical field, grocery stores, restaurants that offer carry out and pick up and delivery, out, even the delivery drivers as well, truck drivers. Um, pretty much any every other essential worker out there, that' are you know risking their health, but at the same time trying to help keep this country going. You know, my hats off to them. You know you have my support, and hopefully we'll get through this. Guys, make sure to wash your hands, back practice social distancing. Um, like I said, for the next few weeks, we're going to be giving us we we'll give you guys a breakdown, of our opinions on the Last Dance. i um, bring up articles, getting other people's opinions. But if you guys have any opinions of what you thought of. The last dance so far, you can tweet me on Twitter at TheFanchise85. You can go to our Facebook page, post your opinions on there. It's Facebook.com. Search for Talking Pop with the of Bico. You can post your your opinions or your reaction to it. Like I said, make sure to follow us on Anchor. We're also available on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts. We have a store, So Search for Talking Pop with the of Biko. We have merchandise on there. Support the podcast. Um, Biko, anything else to say before we sign off?
1: Um. just uh, be safe out there guys don't get too stuck into your head um, I know everything is just kind of up in the air right now but uh, just trust that whatever you're going to do now is going to be just as important as you did the next day uh, so just kind of focus on things you want to get around to that you haven't done in a while or do nothing at all doesn't matter at this point uh, I just don't pressure yourselves to feel like this is all very fucking uncertain times and so I know people may feel overwhelmed uh, or they may feel like lost, but just try to do what you can. Don't overwhelm yourself so much. I know people have different situations and circumstances and that they're dealing with under this crisis. And so just try your best to be balanced in your own life internally and then do what you can to help others to the best of your ability. Don't overwhelm yourself too, knowing that it's, you know, just try to make it to the next day. It's all I can hope for. Uh, things are just up, the, up in the shit right now. Let's be honest, up in the shit. So if you are just making it throughout the day, just keep going. And if you are doing okay in this, keep it going. If, if you can help others, even if it's to, something as small as making checking on your folks or your friends or important people or a friend that you haven't talked to in a while because of the time. Uh, but just, yeah, do things that are important to you at the end of the day, no matter what it is.
0: Yeah, well said. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Geek on, take care, wash your hands.
1: Cool.